This is the 2.1 cast. Visit the2.1.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at the2.1. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 2.1 cast. I'm your host Neil Murray and as usual I'm joined by Stefan Bienkowski and James Kearney. Are we well, lads? Yeah, doing all right. Happy recovered from the weekend's events. Of yeah, I'm, I'm just literally wolfing down some <laughs> breakfast and coffee right now. <laughs> uh, enjoy the weekend's games. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a bit annoying. How you know on the Saturday, it's like, you know, first game back, getting ready to get excited for the season, and then you know, none of the games are on telly. Total bummer. I didn't think I realised that till we actually started the day of Saturday, and there was no no matches on at all. Oh, it's a weekly occurrence for me every Saturday morning on Twitter. Why aren't these games on telly? <laughs> and then on Sunday, I realised even the Hibs game wasn't on telly. Like, what is going on here? Why couldn't they've moved one of the games to Friday? Sold out. Anyway, I'm already on a rant about something we're not even talking about. I know, I know. Well, we're going to talk today about well the psychology of the football fan and conspiracies. You might even say in Scottish football, um, why fans think there's a bias towards the team. I think really we're going to talk about this given the events at Bitodry. Um A lot of Rangers fans are unhappy with. Kevin Clancy, uh, I mean a lot of Aberdeen fans are happy with Kevin Clancy as well to be honest. Um, it's not that we're, we're saying it's just, just Rangers fans that feel aggrieved or feel that maybe it's a bias towards their team. This happens to, to almost every team in, in the league at one point. Um, there's pretty much, they maybe don't get a decision and from that a section of the support will say there's a ingrained bias or conspiracy theory towards their team. Uh, so I don't know, we'll maybe just start with why the football fans in general, maybe not just even in Scotland, why the football fans think this way? Why do they even consider that there might be some kind of ingrained bias towards them? And it's not just human error in this in this case. Uh, it's kind of just the way that like memory works. <laughs> like in that, uh, you know, if you're a football fan, obviously you follow your team more closely than others, and that. So yeah, like you're, if you follow your, your football team, you're paying more attention to them than other clubs, which means that those events, the memorable things that happen, are more distinct in your mind than they happen in others. So after a while, after a few years of supporting a football team, you can think of all these different decisions that have gone against you, and then in your in your head, you can just sort of add them all up and then be like, okay, with this huge backlog of evidence, surely that means there's something that's happening against my team because look at all these terrible things that have happened. When you when you forget that all these like, plenty of decisions that go for you, but you just totally forget that because it's not as important. So, I think all of us down to like sort of like, yeah, just the way that we actually retain knowledge mm-hmm. and that you know these bad things stand out more, and then later down the line they seem more important than they were at the time. That's a really interesting point, actually. I think kind of football does kind of <clears throat> it does kind of hone in on our more kind of uh, primal characteristics. Actually, not only in two things. Actually, I think James makes a good point. Like. The human brain tends to work and it kind of picks up on patterns and things like that, you know, always has been, I think, from a kind of biological point of view. And if you are, if you only have one set of data, i.e. your football team playing, then you're convinced that quite, you probably are quite accurately saying, I can recall a pattern of these things happening, but you're right, the problem is it lacks context. Like, I know that we're not specifically just talking about Rangers fans here because it, it certainly happens on not only the other side of Glasgow, but elsewhere in Scottish football, but just use as an example, throughout Twitter on Sunday and Monday, um, you had numerous, you know, pretty prominent Rangers Twitter accounts and things like respected blogs and things saying, 
you know, we've had this issue, we've had this issue, we've had this issue, but then you'd have, you know, pretty non-partisan or pretty um, neutral people coming out saying, well, actually, you know, I think it was a really good stat. So I don't have it in hand, unfortunately, but it's basically someone's chalked up how many penalties Rangers have been awarded the last two seasons and how many they've had against them. And they've had way more awarded for them than against them. Uh, it's the same with red cards, yellow cards, for example. And it kind of falls back and, you know, whenever Celtic or Rangers do moan about these things, almost every other fan in the country laughs at it because, you know, another aspect of human nature is that referees are probably far more biased to support the 50,000 people showing at them rather than the 3,000 in the corner whenever they're at Ibrox or Celtic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, about 800 years. So um, I think I think that's that's a really good point. You know, it's it's not so much like it's fans being idiots or fans just being kind of like knuckle-dragging fools. It's it's just people kind of relying on their, their own wiring of their own brains. Uh, I think another thing as well that football kind of taps into is tribalism as well. Um, and the kind of innate nature of human beings to kind of group together you know, if you put three humans in a room before long, two will decide why they're different from the third person and they'll turn on them, I guess. That's that's just how I look at I think that's maybe it's quite pessimistic of you mankind, but I think that's just kinda of how the nature of it works. And I think football undoubtedly kind of does kind of draw up these imaginary lines in society. Um and kind of um Turns t- turns these things towards turns us on each other in that regard. Not in a not in a not in a hugely pessimistic way, but it does kind of enforce the idea of us versus them, which you know a sub- a savvy club PR uh, can kind of whisper in the ear of his manager to kind of say one or two things along the lines of that, which might have happened on Sunday, which does kind of you know drum up um, support, it drums up attention, and it maybe takes pressure off the club itself because you know but. And, and look, this isn't Stephen Gerrard isn't the first coach in football to do this. Some of the best coaches in the world always have. Alex Ferguson was an absolute bastard for things like this. He was convinced the media were against him, absolutely convinced of it. I mean, you could probably do a BuzzFeed quiz, who said it, Donald Trump or Alex Ferguson, when it comes to the media, and it would legitimately be quite hard. Jose Mourinho, I know he's a bit of a bomb scare these days because his record seems to be getting a bit weird, a bit tr- tr- troublesome, but even in his heyday, was convinced, or at least he ran the narrative that everyone was against him. Including at Real Madrid. He managed, he managed to sometimes be like, so that is, we're the plucky underdog. Yeah. Real yeah. Madrid. Exactly. And, and it's not, and it's, but it's not even just, it's a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, it's a method used across all types of personality types. Pep Guardiola couldn't be more different from Jose Mourinho in the way that he behaves. He's not a very confrontational guy. You look at, but, and he himself would argue he's nothing like Jose Mourinho, but in his press conference, he does the exact same thing. Every single time a bad de- decision goes against him, he makes the argument. This always happens to us. He did it at did it Bayern Munich, and he probably did it at Barcelona. Certainly does it at Man City. So it's 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 something that is. Is it like is it like a siege mentality? Is it because it's coming from somebody higher up in the club, like a coach or a manager or a chairman? Is it really a kind of tool? also to kind of make sure you're just united as one, as a kind of support, as a club. Like, why would a chairman do that? I don't know, for example, I don't really understand why. Is it to kind of take pressure off them because they lost, it's because everyone's against them rather than their shortcomings? Or I don't really understand it, why someone at the top of a club would do it, if I'm completely honest. Well, I think it's just because it, it shifts the focus in you know, today's modern age where, you know, framing the narrative is half of running a football club, apparently. 
and you know people the media and football clubs want to control what people are saying about them and they want to make sure that they've got the fans on board like if you know if your team loses because of a dodgy penalty the fans aren't going to blame the manager for that they're going to blame the referee and possibly the opposition players as well but your team are going to get off the hook for it so you know chairman managers have realized this and they can realize they can now direct that anger at other people and like when you do create a siege mentality there's a lot of examples of it working really well like as we say like Jose Mourinho has made a habit of doing it his entire career and he's also happens to be one of the most successful football managers in world football mm -hmm. so like there's a real togetherness that can sow I think uh, within, a, within a squad as well and when that happens you can really I don't know it just seems to get an extra 10% out of the players sometimes you know but having said that I don't know for I think it's a fairly short-term position to take, and then, and then to go back to Mourinho again. But if you look at him, obviously, everyone, most people are familiar with the idea that after three years, it just sort of burns out because you know the players just can't stand it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a significant risk when you do employ a strategy like a sort of siege mentality sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, <clears throat> in the short term, at least, it can be really effective. You know, and it, it can really foster it's a sort of sense of unity that you don't get otherwise and it's hard and it's very difficult to achieve otherwise and all you need to do is just point the finger at somebody else. Mourinho's actually a really good example because he actually points out that not only does it work but it can also fall back on you terribly as if you know the results don't fall in line as well so you know to kind of level the playing field here I guess Brendan Rodgers says a lot of stupid things as well sometimes <laughs> all the time actually for a guy in his position <clears throat> He can often come up with some absolute nonsense, um, which he really doesn't have to say. Um, Craig Levine can do the same. So can Neil Lennon. Um, you know, even to an extent, maybe Derek McInnes. Although I think he's in a bit more comfortable position, so maybe he's not so much. But as long as these guys are winning games, it's fine, you know. And Stephen Gerrard obviously still has the good. He has a huge amount of well of support on uh, a good amount of goodwill from the support as well. I'd say there. Um, and he can continue saying these things uh, as long as Rangers are showing some sort of momentum or moving forward and to the same extent so can Brendan Rodgers if Celtic start losing games and getting knocked out of competitions and Brendan Rodgers keeps complaining about things fans are going to begin to be like right we're getting a bit sick of this as we're probably now seeing actually with Mourinho at Manchester United like the really interesting thing about Mourinho is that um, throughout his career uh, it has after three years began to dissipate and people getting fed up with it as well as kind of just the general nature of the football he plays, fans get a bit bored of it, and if you're a club like Real Madrid, you can just go get someone else. What I find quite interesting about him at Man United right now, and I don't really want to focus on this too much, um, but what I think is really interesting is that fans are already getting annoyed at it. You see Man United fans, they're just kind of jaded because he's already in pre-season in, in like a friendly in America, complaining about the players doesn't have and things. And, it kind of, and, it, and I think he's a really good test subject in that regard in the sense that the siege mentality can work um, but if you keep drumming at it, you keep drumming at it, and, and then results don't come along, and you don't have the support, you don't have the success to go alongside it, then um, you know fans can quickly turn on that. So it does show that like there's only so far the kind of concept of tribalism will go actually in football. Were you surprised, given how Gerard's talked uh, or spoken after or before matches leading up to this, before the Europa League matches in pre-season? Were you surprised he kind of went to that sort of narrative because? I didn't personally didn't really see it coming. I thought he'd maybe obviously mention the decision because um, whether you like it or not, it was 
it's going to split people. Some people are going to think it's a send-off, some people aren't. As the Rangers manager, he's obviously going to be thinking it's not, not the right decision. But to go the whole hog and say it's been years of kind of institutionalised or whatever bias against them, were you kind of surprised to see him go that way? I, I was, and particularly then after the first leg against Osijek, when a few of their players were uh, sort of giving it all that in the press and you know saying that, <coughs> oh, you know, we're great, Gerard got lucky, blah, 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 blah. And Gerard's response was, okay, well, we'll do our talking on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're not going to get drawn into a war of words. And then here he is a week later doing precisely that. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't know if it's here at the moment, but also he just doesn't seem, didn't seem like that kind of player either, because he was one of those players that was never in the headlines mm. for the wrong reason. He seemed quite uh, reserved, just focused on matters on the pitch. So, I don't know, I was, I was quite surprised myself. But, I mean, maybe, again, it was. It was just post-match comments. He was still a bit peed off, but... Uh, I'm going to draw a really weird conclusion here. You guys see the movie Gone Girl? I've not actually, no. no. You're joking, mate. Oh my god. <laughs> well, I'm going to, for the sake of listeners who are, maybe. I can't believe I'm bringing this up on a football podcast, but the whole movie is based around the idea of, you know, the difference between reality and, and, and concept or the, the perception of an issue. It's based around this woman who basically, spoilers if you haven't seen this movie yet, by the way, but it's based around the idea this woman frames her husband as kidnapping her and then at the end she finds out she hasn't, right? And it's all, it's meant to be a really cynical look at the way that the media uh, will kind of you know, um, support her cause because she's this pretty blonde woman with the blouse on and, you know, and he and she makes him out to look like a, a cheating alcoholic husband, okay? And the whole point of the movie is to kind of point out that we're in this kind of post-factual world where um, it's not really what's right and wrong, but actually the perception that people are led to believe. And if people believe it enough, it doesn't really matter if it's right or wrong. And I think that kind of drums in not just in wider society, but it kind of fits into football as well. And you could actually apply it quite a lot to Rangers at the moment, you know. I know Celtic fans ramble on about, you know, uh, they haven't got any money, this and that. I can't leave the board getting into any of that. But I think there's a legitimate argument that the way that Dave King has behaved in his attitude towards Scottish football, the the authorities, uh, and the way that the kind of the club's media output has kind of fell in line with that. Um would then lead you to, I mean, if you've been kind of, tr- if you've been, ca- if you've been kind of cataloguing that for the last, what, two or three years now, what Gerard said on Sunday wouldn't actually be that surprising. Yeah, it's kind of toned the party line, so to speak. Yeah, and it kind of, it kind of fits in a lot with um, another stupid comparison I'm going to make is that um, there's a really good book that I read called How Democracies Die by Stephen Levitsky and Daniel Zibla, which is all about American politics and the kind of, um, partisan nature of how you know the Republican Democrats are kind of pulling each other apart and the kind of really interesting kind of troubling aspect of that is that over the last 20 years or so politics in America has gone from saying you know what you're a Republican I'm a Democrat we might not agree on everything but we still agree that democracy is a smashing thing and let the best man win sort of thing it's now got to a point now where you have particularly the Republican side people saying uh, you know Barack Obama isn't an American the Democratic Party uh, are anti-American. If you vote for them, democracy's going to die. And you know what? The whole system's rigged against us. And it's a pretty, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of concept that, and the whole book's about how, you know, democracies kind of fall into the kind of dictatorships and things like that and authoritarianism. And I know it sounds like a really, really stark <laughs> comparison to Scottish football, but the point I'm trying to make here is that... You've seen Dave King's Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> the point I'm trying to make here is that um, it's a pretty common theme in politics that 
to take the take the take the strategy of basically delegitimizing the whole field, and that way you don't have to basically uh, you don't have to prove yourself, or you don't have to hold yourself to certain accounts because you can say, like Dave King does say, oh well, you know why is why is this guy on the board if he's uh, if he's got shares in a company alongside a Celtic chairman, uh, you know Scottish football's out to get us things like that. I'm not. Say- I'm not saying that we're anywhere near that bad, but it, it, it's, it's echoes of the same thing, and it's, it's there's no there's no need for it in Scottish football. At the end of the day, it's, I mean, look, I think football managers kind of say a lot of stupid stuff. In my opinion, and I'd, I'd, I don't even, I, I do genuinely struggle to wonder why we even bother interviewing them sometimes if we're not going to talk about the actual football. I don't really care what he thinks about red card. To be perfectly honest with you, um, but you know, and and, and as such, you know. As we've just mentioned, Gerard isn't the first coach to come out and try this whole siege mentality thing. But when you have uh, leading figures at one of the biggest clubs in football, and it's not just Rangers that do this, I think, um, and they're coming out and basically saying the system's rigged. It is. It's, 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 it's a very cynical and probably intentional method mm-hmm. of golden up your support. And it's really cynical, and, it, and, it, and it's it's not good for Scottish football. So, is this something that's typical just in football in Scotland, or is it something that's maybe you could compare it to? You could compare it to like a wider society in terms of like politics, <clears throat> particularly American politics. Is it something we see? There's there's a, actually, I mean, I'm asking the question, but there's actually now that I'm saying it, a, an example that completely springs to mind out with football. And it's a I was certain, just going to say you're the politics guy. Well, know. a certain amount of SNP supporters that say there's BBC bias and institutionalised bias in the media against them. Um, <coughs> whereas I don't think there's like that much to prove that, and with maybe people screaming at me in the podcast, but it's quite a statement to make that the state broadcaster and what's a liberal democracy is against your campaign or your kind of political beliefs when it's meant to be non-biased. Well, just to jump back in, you could probably draw a lot of conclu- a lot of compar- a lot of parallels between people of a certain political affiliation. Um, arguing that you know a state broadcaster or even just any huge news organisation is inherently biased against them, in the same way that as James said at the top of the show, football fans are only aware of the things that happen to them. So you know a Labour supporter might think the BBC is against Jeremy Corbyn because all they see is the criticism that they give that the BBC or whoever gives Jeremy Corbyn. Well, you might have someone who supports votes conservative who says the exact same thing about the BBC's approach to like Boris Johnson mm-hmm. or Theresa May because they're only focused on their clear outlook on, on the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because is this just a Rangers and Celtic problem then? Is that, is this Or is this something that's every club and it's maybe just reported more for Rangers and Celtic since they are given the most media coverage in the country? I think it, it does happen pretty much everywhere, to be honest. Um, but I think the reason why it's so particularly prominent among Celtic and Rangers fans is because if when you go into like you know the comment section of a you know BBC article or a match report or whatever, there's just, it's a simple numbers game. There's more of them. You know, there's a lot more of them. So if one of them posts something that they always agree with, they're going to go, oh, you know, he's a Celtic fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's you know he's getting it and he's slagging off Rangers. Cool, I would like that. You know, and then you know because of that. Because of the sheer numbers, those posts become the more prominent ones mm-hmm. and then therefore catch the attention of more people. Let me ask you guys this because I've kind of got my own opinions about what you guys think because I've been rambling this whole episode. What do you guys think about social media? Do you think that kind of, do you think that just accentuates it or do you think that helps? 
or it helps fix the problem rather. I don't think it helps at all. I think, like you're saying there in the like comment sections of social media, I think a lot of time people will just follow who they want to follow, so it could become a bit like an echo chamber at times as well. Uh, people just looking at their kind of like, opinion. Like confirmation bias. That's exactly it. So like they'll just see more of what they believe, uh, and then it'll maybe just. I mean, the, the, I don't know. I just find it kind of bizarre because I think it was you were saying that um, Robert Borthwick tweeted, and it was such a spot on tweet though. It's like, and I don't I don't think it is just a range of Celtic problem, but we do see a lot of people a lot of people from both sides complaining, um, and this is these are the clubs that have won pretty much everything for thirty years. Like uh, he said in his tweet, and it's such a good point because it's it's like. Imagine they hadn't won everything in 30 years, would we still be, would it be significantly worse or, um, I don't know, I just find it all a bit bizarre, like anybody could actually seriously genuinely think there is that kind of ingrained bias against them, I just find it staggering, like it's, it's, it's human error and I actually think like everybody who's a Scottish football fan had a right to be angry at Kevin Clancy on Sunday because I think his performance overall was pretty dreadful, I don't actually think he should be Really, if, he's, if that's his standard refereeing, you'd argue he probably isn't good enough for the Scottish Premiership. So he, he performed worse than Dominic Ball. Yeah, Dominic Ball had a fucking shocker. Yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely dreadful, though. This is the thing. Like, I don't think it's to do with he's got an earpiece on and there's someone from the SFA board going like, "Well, send him off." <laughs> well, it's then. No, yeah, it's exactly. Him. I just, I just think I don't understand. And like, I don't know. I mean, the, the only one I think of is like Mark Clattenburg and Man United fans. Do you mean I know we don't talk about England that much, but when we're comparing if it's a thing out with Scotland, I think it is. I don't think it is just a Scottish football problem either. Um, so I, I don't know. I just find the whole thing pretty bizarre. Like, um, yeah, I think it's it's actually quite worrying when you do kind of open it up to the kind of general like all like modern society where like, you know, I think there's a lot of good fan run media out there, um, and we're actually good friends with a lot. Of blogs and websites set up but you do kind of find yourself I mean I do unfortunately at least I do um, I find myself tumbling down these kind of rabbit holes on the Celtic Rangers ends where you, you see you know I seem to stumble upon a new Celtic blog every day that's got like 30,000 followers I've never even heard of it before you know and it's great that these fans all have a, a, a concept of you know um, building up a community and they can stay in touch with each other and you know what fans should be able to discuss what they think of a game without really talking to anyone else next and I totally get that but you know I think you do and it's not obviously it's not just Celtic it's really anyone to be honest with you I mean if you're on any message boards I mean I've been on like St Mirren message boards at times and it's the same sort of thing they're all innately well of course they're biased because they're football fans but the idea is that they, they all stay within their own parameters, they don't seek outside sources, and they just kind of repeat each other. And, 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 I mean, the really interesting thing you can maybe compare it to is the kind of like Cambridge Analytica stuff yeah, exactly. with Facebook and how, um, you know, the, the kind of cynical way that Facebook, if you, if you support certain political beliefs uh, and point that, or make that clear to Facebook by liking certain groups, Facebook's algorithm will then cater to you by making sure you're you're carefully and comfortably nestled among other groups like that, and it puts it in front of your face. And like, oh, that's interesting too. And before you know it, you 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 like you've taken the the is it the blue pill, the red pill in Matrix. Oh, I mean, again, it's something else I'm not seeing movie wise. Really you've sure. never seen the Matrix. Nah, I mean, I watch Love Island, but I'm really bad with movies. Jesus so. <laughs> well, you take the you take the certain pill that you have to. And then you've just gone into a whole new world and any concept reality is gone. And, you know, I think you can make pretty strong parallels between the way that people can get really 
ingrained in certain political beliefs because all they do is read about it from certain sources and football fans who only read about football from certain blogs and websites because you know it's they don't have a really neutral center ground healthy perspective of it it's that whole thing as well which you see particularly on the right uh, in america which is what you know first things first you got to say you can't believe the press you know like that's got to be the f first point of the first point of the agenda has to be right you can't you can't believe what they say because they've got an agenda against you like they're biased therefore it needs the information has to come from within now which obviously is <clears throat> for the most part a lot of nonsense like i'm sure there, there are some uh, reporters or journalists out there who are reporting stuff and maybe have some very slight biases but apart from anything else it's unprofessional people and like you just don't have the time or energy to do it and or the want and it's yeah, it'd just be like risking your career for for what, you know? And I think it's the same same thing sort of extends to referees. It's like if you're saying that, oh, this guy's biased against my club, it's like, do you honestly think he's going to throw his career away for the sake of a penalty? Mm. You know, for one goal or whatever it is. It's just, it's madness. Like, it's, you know, it, it's just the whole, you know, it's a heart overtaking the head, you know, and which is fine, you know, that's what football's all about. You know, like, you know, if it's a 50 50 challenge and it goes against your team, yeah, you're going to give the ref, you're going to shout at the ref because. That's what's up is, you know, it's fighting for every inch, you know, yeah, and that's and that's part of the fun of it. That's part of the, the, the greatness of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why some people like don't like that, the idea of like VAR either, because like those kind of, I mean, it's, it's like, I think we maybe said it when we did a podcast in VAR, it's like, imagine the papers in this country might shut down and that's what they talk about, <laughs> do you mean? Yeah. Like, so uh, the other thing I find quite interesting is I was saying to James, like before you arrived, Stefan, that... You guys talk before I get here. We did, yeah. Mm. We usually sit in silence, but today we broke it and I've just... Jumped, dropped us in it, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, so what I, I was saying, as it's quite interesting that ve it's, maybe it does happen, but it's very, very rare that fans would really point out bias f for an opposition team. So it's not like um, Motherwell, uh, Celtic fans would be like, oh, see those decisions against Motherwell, it's shocking that there's actual bias, um. like, like keep getting sent off, like that is just disgusting. <laughs> but it's, but it, would, it just never happens, never happens. Well, Motherwell's a perfect example. Stephen Robinson last season was, he had, maybe more reason than anyone else to be angry at referees and he was furious at them after two cup finals and certain decisions and stuff. He was convinced that referees had a bias against the way that Motherwell played. Motherwell, you know, I mean... I would, say, I would say that makes more sense, being against maybe you, your bias because you think that, not that I'm saying it's right in any way, but like, it would make, I still think it's utter tosh, but it makes slightly more sense than they're against the club as an entity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think you're right. I think he, had, he definitely had like more to be upset about than the majority of the dodgy penalty decision in that first cup final and uh, and another one when they nearly beat the Invincible streak. So, yeah, I don't know. Just, it's, just, it's just a bizarre thing and I think, unfortunately, it'll always be a part of the game. I mean, I don't, although, I don't know, would, would VAR maybe stamp that out that people I don't know like, mm, I don't think so then they would just say the people who run the video behind the scenes of VAR <clears throat> against the club yeah I mean just before we finish up I think it's probably important to kind of know the kind of nature of the role that the media do or I guess don't play anymore in the sense that um, you know kind of off the back of what I was saying about like, the way that certain fans just kind of engulf themselves in like kind of uh, fan like, you know their own minded parts of the internet you know, it's undoubt. You, you simply can't have this conversation without pointing out that, by and large, most Scottish football fans struggle to find a home in the kind of coverage that they get from the press, papers, and stuff. Um, 
I think maybe outside of some of the work the guys are doing in the Edinburgh Evening News and the Scotsman and certain aspects of newspapers in Glasgow, football fans from certain clubs don't tend to, um, you know, follow traditional media with the same kind of bravado and, and, and belief that they do with their own their favourite blogs, which in turn means, you know, they, they, they don't get that outside influence. They don't get that they don't get that kind of pause for sober reading, I guess. And that's not entirely their fault if you want. I mean, look we're the two point one. We're we're kinda here because we kinda agree with that to the extent we don't think huge parts of the media are doing their job and covering the game. Um, so I'm not ga- I'm not exactly going to sit here and be like, oh, go pick up a newspaper because I think they should be doing a lot better. But the point I'm making is that due to the absence of maybe a really strong um, media presence, um, I'd actually I'd, I'd, I'd add the Times in there alongside the guys even named the Renews uh, because I think they do a good job too to an extent. But um, without that there, almost as a kind of sober uh, middle ground, where you can kind of go and be like, right, I've read my favourite football, I've read my favourite forum, had a laugh about some of the guys in there saying about conspiracy theories, I'll go read the match report or I'll go read some analysis from the BBC or the Scottish Sun or the Daily Record or the Herald or something, uh, or the, the Press and Journal or Dundee Courier, whoever, uh, to get another perspective. I don't think football fans, are these less and less now, they, they don't seem to be seeking out that other perspective and then they go on Twitter or Facebook and these things are designed to keep them in their little cocoon. And I'm not, I, I don't think football fans are like crazier or more partisan than they used to be. I think they've always been a bit nuts, but it seems as though the kind of set up now in society seems to be that it kind of streamlines that kind of behavior, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, I think the interesting things though, particularly with like social media is that yeah, you're saying like yeah, there's like echo chambers and you know, people get only really see stuff that they agree with. But like at the same time, like if you wanted to find out the opposing view, it's never been easier to well, 100%. to come across yeah, it. And like, you know, you could do it. In a, you know, if you're on Twitter, you can easily just follow every club in Scotland, and you've got there you go, you've got everyone's uh, different clubs' point of view, and it like, takes like a second to yeah. do it. And that's here, you're sorted. No, yeah. So it's it's quite odd that we're in this situation now where we all should be doing it, and it, it's very easy to do, and yet we still don't. I know, I know, but I think it's just because so many people, again, just think like that media, like it's biased towards them, so it's like, why would I read about them? Because why would I read the Daily Ranger? Do you mean, like, do you mean stuff, stuff like that? So that's, that's probably why, but I think we'll leave it there. Um, plenty on, of things happening on the site this week. Uh, we have a piece on Kyle Lafferty. Uh, we also, that's from you, James, isn't it? Uh, whether his, he could replicate his form if he were to move to Rangers. Uh, sorry, Hearts fans. Uh, we're just adding fuel to the fire, apparently. Um, I got a piece from, uh, was it you, Stefan, on Aberdeen and Rangers, a kind of follow-up from that? Um, yeah, looking at the tactics, very little care or concern about what managers said, so if you're looking for something completely different from this podcast, <laughs> that's there for you. We've also got our power rankings uh, with new methodology uh, um, employed this season, so go check them out to see what you think. Uh, sorry, I'll let you just continue, Stefan, if you were going to... I was going to jump on the power rankings, saying that we've been, so that's now three weeks up and running, so... If anyone doesn't know, every week we have our own kind of uh, formula which James puts together and rallies up and it kind of tallies. It keeps track of how coaches are doing based on their perceived expectations and things. And I think it gets a nice alternative to, you know, how well a coach is or isn't doing. Who's top of it right now, James? Uh, right now it's Stubbs, 
and then, then second and then place. Second place, we've got. Oh, who was it? Oh. Lennon is it's second, Lennon, yeah, yeah. Lennon. four, five, third place, <coughs> and then Martin Cannon's bottom right now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a pretty bad start yeah. to the season for Rackies. Neil McCann's second bottom. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. If, if it's, it's, we don't think anyone else is really doing Scottish football, so if you're looking for something like that, I'd definitely mm-hmm. go give a look. Yeah, and also just follow us on uh, social media. Uh, if you want to not be in your echo chamber like Stefan's been saying this whole podcast no joking but yeah follow us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram at the 2.1 with regards to the podcast uh, reviews uh, ratings on iTunes they really help us out uh, if people are trying to come across our podcast that may not have heard of it before who are Scottish football fans so we really appreciate any reviews uh, and feedback you may give us Uh, also follow us on Spotify since we're on there now as well Uh, and if you're an Android user we're also uh, on audio boom so uh, plenty of ways to catch us but until next week we'll be back with another episode of the 2.1 cast.